Knock, knock, guess who is knocking at your door? That's right, you know it's the morning for sure. Might be a geoff, it could be. Maybe it's Mitt Romney. You know you love this weekend moments, original morning news. If you love Lindsay Sterling, Bryce Harper in Utah, and cello salad foods, oh, you're gonna love this show. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff Openshaw. And I'm Kurt Frankham. Yes, he is, and we yes, are here. I am, Jeff. I'm back. You invited me back. Here it's, I am. I, when, when did you last pod? It was like January or something? It's been a while. Yeah, I've been I've been ghosting you long enough. Well, you, you know, you tell me you're trying to say no to things, and I say I don't care. Say yes. <laughs> Just as one of my, my oldest son used to say when he was a toddler, no say no, say yes. That's what he nice. would say. When he yeah, you say no a lot. You're a, a no dad, aren't you, Jeff? I can be. Someone's got to be a bad cop, but That's I think true. it's me. Good cop, bad cop in your house, huh? How's the life of uh, both Kurt Frankham and the Leading Saints franchise? What's going on? Well, I am in the midst of, uh, you know, I've, I've ventured into this world of, of writing a book. Um, a manuscript is in the works at the moment, and I've, I'm just about there. I'm having a, an editor go through and take one more pass at it, and then I'm going to put this thing to bed, and if people buy it, whatever. Is but, it fiction? Did you write a fictional book? <laughs> yes. No. No, this is nonfiction. It's uh, my hope is to get on the bookshelves of popular bookstores next to books such as Brad Wilcox or John, uh-huh. by the way. It's sort uh-huh. of in that that vein where we maybe jump into a gospel principle in a way that's a little more encouraging and uh, brings clarity to our lives. So that do, we we have a, more, do we have a title yet? Are you willing to share? So the working title right now, which I think uh, I don't have a publisher, I'm self-publishing, so I get to pick the title. Do whatever you want. Uh, is it's, the title is "Is God Disappointed in Me?" Oh yeah, you've you've talked about this. Yeah, you've read the subject. the early manuscript. It's oh, much yeah, different. That's, that's why it sounds familiar. I've read it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, but it's changed quite a bit since you read it. So thanks to your feedback and those of many other beta readers who told me where I was crazy and where I needed to My notes just said, yes, yes, yes. I was just confirming your thesis. You're like, is God disappointed in me? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. 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 He's terribly disappointed. In, I don't know in, how he yeah. would be, Kurt. You're doing, you're doing his work. You're doing, a, you're doing good So, uh, yeah, that project is sort of dominating my time. Uh, we're actually looking at doing some different uh, Leading Saints retreats in the uh, in the coming uh you know, I guess the end of, of 2022 and the so coming that's when you're like, year. You take 20, people into the woods and do chants and stuff like yes. that, like that kind of War thing. paint, you know, walk on coals. No, none of that. No, these are nothing weird, but uh, we found that there's more and more interest in this this type of activity. And well, so, What do you do on a retreat? Just like do leadership workshops, that kind of thing? Yeah, you could call that. So uh, like one retreat we do is uh, with the, the Warrior Heart group. They're an then we sort of partnered with them. They do what they call boot camps. They're men's retreats, and then they have a women's retreat as well. And there's, uh, you know, they have sessions where a speaker goes through a concept, breaks it down, and then they give you a sort of reflection time after that. And then there's, you know, you have some fun and adventure time, and then good food, and and people love it. It's they're transformational, Jeff. So I hope to get you one on one, you get you on one of these. So all you have to do is count my ticket and meals, and I'm good. <laughs> 
We are looking. I want to do one in Virginia. So that is if, that is, that we, is the standard twim uh, twim rate. <laughs> you'll do anything for <laughs> as long as I don't pay for any of it. I'm good. That's fine. Hey, you got to invest in yourself, Jeff. Folks, I will come and speak at any event you want. I do lots of corporate things. I'm very entertaining. Uh, I've done a number. Uh, I've emceed a number of ward Christmas parties, uh, ward trunk retreats, uh-huh. um, ward talent shows. Uh, various games. I've done lots of things at award level for emceeing. I've spoken at stake meetings before, but I have, lest you forget, many years ago, they the, these some fools got Al and I to present about like I remember so, this so, social media for Latter Day Saints. And it was it, was it in California? It was right. in California. It coincided with I think a trip we were taking there anyway. I think unless we built it all around that, I don't know. But yes, there's they didn't Al comp your airfare or no? Al and I are there. <laughs> I didn't have kids yet or anything, but like my wife comes with me. Al and I are there in the Irvine Stakes Center, and we're like, we're going to show. And it was hilarious just seeing our competing ways of doing things. I've like built out an entire PowerPoint deck. Lots of thoughtful points, you know, real like structured. It's got a flow. I've rehearsed it. And Al's just like, I'm just going to get up there and just talk about stuff. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> and they didn't call you back or maybe they didn't. They, they discontinued. Did it they didn't because we were, maybe they discontinued. Also, maybe we offered nothing insightful for people. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was, uh, it was a good time. The panel discussion afterwards with other influencers was great. This was when like the LDS influencer space was much smaller, folks. We're yeah. pro- we probably did this in like 2013 or something like that, I would guess, is when that happened. Um, it was not as large back sure. then. So people like like me could skate by uh, peddling influence, as it were, and nobody called me on it. Nowadays, well, I don't know. I don't even know if I could get a column over at uh, Public Square Magazine, even if I tried, right? That's just, just how things <laughs> oh, are. I, I know a guy, Jeff. I can get you in. So. Yes, I'm in. <laughs> Listeners don't know. I was actually supposed to have a Pathios uh, column a while ago. And? We never agreed on like the title of the column and <laughs> the discussions just kind of fizzled out. <laughs> what did you want to write about? I don't know. Just that's what I mean. It's like just musings from Jeff. Like, what else are you going to say? I don't know. Like, here's my observations on, on life within the church. Not that, that, you know, I, I wanted to like do some kind of hilarious. I think I wanted to do a, a play on. I even made some joke about Dan Peterson's column, which is, you know, sick at none or whatever. And I, I did some other, something else in Latin that was like, shut up, Dan Peterson, but in Latin. <laughs> Or something like that. <laughs> I had a lot of ideas. I could dig them all up if you want to know. Nice, nice. So, how's life in your irascible, world, Jeff? Oh, here's what we should call it: irascible sainthood. What could be better than that? That's perfect. Oh boy, trademark that. Hurry. Thank you. So, I already own the domain. Um, not much here. You know, we're just chugging along, living the life, having the good times. Hope Easter was great for everyone listening, um, all involved. I had a very yeah. nice Easter with family and friends. Uh, I did go to California though. A week or change ago was my mom's birthday. That was wonderful. I had not been back to my homeland since before the pandemic started. And uh, so that was really nice to get my siblings together, celebrate my mom's birthday. Yeah, so had a great I saw time. some random uh, story of you like walking on the roadside by the airport. What, yeah, was tell awesome. us the story. Well, this is, well, I'm Jeff Openshaw and I. <laughs> I like to go on adventures, even random ones. So it was mostly like I landed at Long Beach Airport. My sister was getting in and out about like an hour and 10 minutes later. If you've been to Long Beach Airport, it's tiny. It's cool, tiny. Like it's a cool little airport, but it's so small that like you're walking outdoors in a secured area and then your baggage claim is like it's outside. Like it looks like a high school locker row that just got they replaced the lockers with a conveyor belt. You're just like standing there outdoors and get your bags. Point is, there's nowhere to hang out really after you've already done your stuff. And so I was very hungry because I was on East Coast time. I hadn't had a meal for like 10 hours probably by that point, a proper one anyway. 
Um, and I didn't want to, I looked at Uber prices just to go up the street. I knew there was like a shopping entertainment area up the road a little bit, but it was like 15 bucks just to get there. I'm like, I'm not doing this. Why am I going to do this? So, <laughs> so I just you swallowed my, your pride and you walked. I just grabbed my bag and just started walking. And I took a beautiful video that you saw of me just walking along the airport perimeter. <laughs> and it was so, like you next to a runway. Obviously, there was like a barbed wire fence yeah. and then a familiar roll of the luggage sound you know, yeah. behind oh, you. Oh, like, it, was just deli- it, was, it was absolutely delightful. I'm so glad I did it. I stumbled upon this great new development um, in Long Beach, the Long Beach Exchange. And I went to this place called The Hangar, which had a bunch of food kiosks. It was all cool and fun and, and millennial-esque. Oh, I should have seen, my wife was right. She's like, you need to put like a picture of the after, like the result of your trouble because it just kind of ends and no one yeah. knows what happens to you. Like, we didn't know if you were abducted, Jeff. We, I mean. I, I basically ended it on act two and I never showed anybody else what happened. What happened was I got some delicious donor kebab um, from a place and I was very, very pleased with it. It was what you do in the future, Jeff, is you go to maps.churchofjesuschrist.org. Find a meeting house. And you find the bishop, the local bishop's phone number. <laughs> and then you call him like, hey, my name's Jeff. I'm, in, I'm currently standing in your ward. I need a ride from the airport. Are you not the bishop for all people in your ward boundaries, yeah, not just those on I'm, your list? Because that's what they say. Activate your keys, bishop. Let's how do whole, this. How Literally, your keys. <laughs> Did that one, it was go so get funny. him. It's like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I don't need to ride anywhere big. Just take me up to that shopping center and dump me. It'll take, it's like a total of 10 minutes of your time. It's going to be fun. Right. Yeah. So that was fun. Thanks for bringing that one up. Yes, folks, you can follow me on Instagram where you can see me just, just walking along, you know, Lakewood Boulevard, just hanging out. Nice. People were, people were staring at me. People don't walk as much in California as they do in the DC area. I was the only one on that road, but I felt perfectly safe. It was very gentrified. Lucky me. (laughs) The FBI was wondering why this shady character was walking by the uh, runway. Probably a little bit, but they, you know they wondered that about me anyway, so it's yeah. fine. As Al used to call me, the bearded nationalist. As our twin theme song says, he's the bearded nationalist in DC. <laughs> the problem is, nationalist means kind of a different thing in our this day and age. Yes. Sir. So as you can tell, we're vamping hard, folks. We don't know mm-hmm. what we're doing. That's right. Nothing it's, happened it's, this week. It's a fun grab bag of news. It's funny how comparatively light it is on news only because last week we had our great interview with uh, Adam Jortner all about the history of like the saints and Jacksonian America. If you haven't listened to that really interesting discussion, Adam's an extremely entertaining professor. Love talking to him about all of this subject matter. Uh, And really good to kind of get, we know a lot of the history of the saints, but it was good to kind of understand that and how it, how it contrasted and where it fit into like that period of American history. What made that period of American history unique in particular And, and specifically kind of how concepts of religious freedom sort of failed that like those protections weren't there, even if they were on paper. And obviously that affected the saints. So check that out. And of course, the week before we had conference. So we haven't done news proper for a number of weeks. And you'd think we'd have three weeks worth of news built up, but we don't. We do not. Because Let me ask you this, Jeff, with you mentioned conference a couple of weeks ago. Uh, now that we're what two weeks out, like any lingering feelings of as the is just another conference in the books. Like what, what are you sensing from where we're at? From I would, this, this I would encourage you to listen to our conference episode well, to I have did. that information, Kurt. I did, um, but I'm saying like now that we're got a t- few weeks behind us, anything changed that you, I don't think, nothing for me is super drastic. No, yeah. I mean a, a weird perverse part of me almost misses the, the like intimate little conferences that we were doing in the early pandemic days. I thought it was actually kind of like nice oh, yeah. and not as self aggrandizing in a way, you know, here we are in our beautiful hall that we have built. Look at our, our amazingness. Well, and then they cut to like a 70 who's like in Europe and some random chapel. It was kind of fun. Yeah. I, I thought, yeah. 
Exactly. And I know we were doing that out of necessity, but in many ways, I think it illustrated some things that we could potentially do differently yeah. that we don't always, I mean, typically the seventies come into town for a conference and that's what we're able to do again, but, uh, yeah. and they have leadership training and all that overall though. No, I mean, it was, uh, I'm not calling it run of the mill. Uh, obviously the big takeaway was missionaries. And I think that was one of the biggest threads that kind of stuck out just like the need for missionaries to take this opportunity yeah. seriously, prospective missionaries rather. Um, what about you? You know, I've been, uh, jumping in a few of them, just reviewing them. And there, there's always a few that I'm like, they're typically seventies. I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what you were getting at there. So now that I have the text in front of me, I'm going to sit down with you here and we're going to, you're going to teach me a little bit more clearly. So. I do need to do that. And I'm really, I'm pleased with myself. This, this uh, highlights how pathetic I am as a church member, but between the past two conferences, I succeeded in my goal of reading through all the conference talks from that October conference. Oh, yeah. For it, which I usually set a goal to do and inevitably don't do. What do you do? Like take one a week or how just did you kind get of as it? just kind of as I go. I didn't create like a structure to say do it on these dates. Just just get through it and it's fine. You, you it did great. seventy hard, didn't you? Is that what they call it? Yeah, so it's fun. That got you. Right. I, I did one thing that one talk that stuck out since you mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, when I was in California, I was went to the Elders Quorum there in my old home ward. And they already like had prepped a talk based on the last week. And so they talked about Sister Alberto's talk. Uh, essentially, like, we are the church was her we argument. We are the church, yeah. Yeah, and I thought that was a really cool area to explore. It's easy for us to talk about, well, what is the church? Is the church essentially, is the church infrastructure? Is it buildings? Is it infrastructure both physical and also notional and organizational? You know, the stuff that, the, the structure that helps us enter into covenants with the Lord? Is that what the church is? That's like part of it. But she was really arguing that like, we are the church. Like when, when Christ talks about, you know, we are his body in that sense, like right. it is us, it is the things we do. It is how we act towards one another. Like we are the church. Yeah. It was great. Cause I just watched Thor Ragnarok. Um, just, just <laughs> barely days before I watched, I watched it. I watched it on the plane to California. That's a goodie. And it is a goodie. And I'd say spoiler alert, but you've all had like five years to watch it, so whatever. Um, in the end, when Asgard is being destroyed, the people say multiple times, they're like, Asgard is a people, not a place. And I didn't say this in Elder's Quorum, but it was kind of funny because that popped in my head. Like, this, <laughs> It is the same idea. Like, I know we talk about being a Zion people, and yeah. of course, Zion is a place both in the Missouri context and with the people of Enoch context. But um, but like, we are the Zion people. That's what the Lord wants us to be, is it, to be, like it says in the book of Moses, to be a Zion people. And there's things that make us a Zion people. And like, we are the church. So that, and, that one's fresher in my mind because we already had a lesson on it, which I thought was a great turnaround also nice. for that elders quorum to get in there and do one from a talk that was uh, a week old by that point. So yeah. good for them. You know, and the, you know, Christ framed it that the kingdom of God is, is in us. You know, I think that's a fascinating consequence to kind of think of a kingdom as like a, you know, established order or, mm -hmm government or whatever and but uh no we are we are the church and uh but you know i think some people struggle with that with you know then how you know where do we draw the line of autonomy that we have in our faith tradition and experience and kind of tricky but goody that was good thanks for bringing that so now now you reminded me they are there i need to update my bookmark start working my way through the next conference Boom. i have until october do you thanks do it on your on your uh the app or I just do it on the app. Should I do, do you want me to get like a published no. issue of the Liahona and mark it up? Because <laughs> I'll do that. Old school highlighter. No, I'm, I use the app as well. So yeah. you got you you to be tagging and you know. You can highlight in the app. You can. I have, I think I mentioned it once in the past. There would potentially be value in me like looking through my old quad and going through LDS tools or even going through my like scriptures online signed in and like highlighting the same things in my scriptures and the same notes and trying to harmonize the two. Mm-hmm. 
which could be good. I view it as like a life's record. There's some people who actually read through scriptures and mark them up and then discard them. I've seen heard of apostles doing this and then they mm-hmm. start over and look what new insights they can get. Yeah. I'm more of a, I want to see the full accumulation yeah. of my life's thoughts on scriptures. But uh, anyway. All right. So mentioned one thing during conference, talked about missionaries, right? That stood out a lot. They, they mm-hmm. President Nelson stressed that like, you know, uh, while it's nice that sisters, if they want to go, they, w- they welcome it, but all worthy young men should serve an honorable mission. One thing that I thought was interesting is many people treated this like it was a very bold statement, which it, it kind of was after not saying that for a while. Yeah, sure. But that's kind of been the line for a while. All worthy young men should serve an honorable full-time mission. That's been a thing we've said for a very long time. That's not particularly new. I think we just have stopped emphasizing it. And now, as we mentioned on the conference recap, the number of missionaries plummeted during COVID. A lot of people either went home because of COVID, they went home just because it was time to go home, and then a lot of people chose not to go out. Go out. Mm-hmm. And kudos to those who did go out and have made the most of it during that time. But we're very low on numbers, uh, both overall and as a percentage of total church membership. It's never been lower in that sense. So there's clearly a need. Um, over at uh, Zalifahad's Daughters, always doing great work over there in terms of stats, which I love. I think it's fun. Some people <laughs> might leave comments that are negative, but the stats side of it, is great because they they pulled apart the uh, statistical report from 2021 and talked about proselytizing versus service missionary counts. And we hear a lot about full-time, when they talk about full-time missionaries, even like when we speak of that number, we're almost always referring to proselytizing missionaries in that sense. When we're talking that there's 54,000 of them, that's missionaries wearing the tags, knocking the doors, doing the discussions, that's the deal. What we don't usually talk about is that we have a huge amount of service missionaries, nearly 40,000 service missionaries as well. That's a significant portion of the total missionary effort. And so uh, they just sought to look at the overall statistical report, look for any anomalies. One curious one is the number of service missionaries dipped less hard. Well, actually, COVID didn't hurt it as badly, right? Um, and the the surge during COVID, it was a bit better. The uptick as conditions have improved was better for service missionaries than for proselytizing missionaries. So I thought that was some interesting data. And another one down here shows the total number of missionaries in the church um, over certain periods of time. And that includes proselytizing. So there's uh, roughly 90,000 90, or so. But then the percentage that service missionaries comprise of that, and they're currently at the highest level ever, it's like 40% of total missionaries are service missionaries, which I think is awesome. And that's great. The article does make a point, just wondering, it's like the second to last paragraph, how general authorities will or will not react if the percentage of service missionaries, the portion exceeds 50% or more. Like if we get to the Mm. stage where we are rendering service effectively more than we are proselytizing, Will that be a thing where they feel like they have to write the ship and essentially say like, this is all well and good that we're doing service missions. They're valuable and important, kind of like the sisters. You want to serve? That's great. We love you. We support you in it. But if they might want to you know, lovingly remind everyone, but the proselytizing is, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of where the, the buck stops. We got to yeah. focus on that, people. So I thought that was just some interesting uh, data points. And it reminded me as well, because it was a couple of years ago, the church changed the whole process for... Uh, serving a mission. You used to apply for different types of missions. And now it's the same application process for everybody. And you may serve mm-hmm. different types of missions depending on what happens, which is great because I think that kind of took it away from saying, oh, I'm serving a mission, which means a proselytizing mission. And then I'm serving a service mission, right? I think we still think that way. Like a mission, going on a mission means that type. And I hope yeah. we can get away from that yeah. and like revere all missions equally as equally valuable. Yeah. Well, it makes me wonder, you know, 
and we'll never know this, but just in, you know, in these meetings, as they're <clears throat> emphasizing missionary work, you know, in the, in the private council meetings, do they see missionary work as a vehicle for, you know, obviously membership growth, or is it more primarily for the development of the people? Of right. The and the and so is it yeah. maybe if that service missionary number passes that 50% mark, maybe that's no big deal because our people are being developed or is it, I don't know, the, like the growth of it. I don't know. I don't know how they value that or how, how they see it. Obviously they always want growth. I think, you know, we want to bring as many people to Christ and his restored gospel, but uh, I wonder sort of the motives behind this, which we'll probably never know. We, we won't. Um, I think those who serve service missions, get a lot of satisfaction out of it, which is not to say you don't from proselytizing. Mm-hmm. I want, I do think that service might be more like purely joyful, if that makes any sense, because you're just out there directly serving people and seeing the fruits of your labors. Obviously, if you're sharing the message of the gospel, that's a form of service in a way, right. but it is a lot more emotionally taxing to kind of get there and get through that process. I mean, you, you know, you and I both serve missions. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure Sacramento in that sense was a little different from Spain. It was just simply the fact that it's sometimes very hard to get people to want to listen to what you have to say right. and then yeah. to get to make progress with any of those people. And that, that can be. Well, it makes me wonder, well. you know, the service missionary experience of the, I, I would assume there's a lot less of this feeling of quotas or numbers or, you know, That's how many true. people are you yeah. teaching? You know, you just baptize somebody who's next where it's more like, you know, I just show up every day and I just do this thing and I'm giving and this is a great time in my life. Did I ever tell you about the experiment I did once on my mission about numbers in a way? Oh, I mean, we track numbers. People track numbers. It's, uh, it's fine. Here's and a Barcelona mind, case study. Let's hear it. A little yeah. bit. And, I, and to be clear, I don't mind numbers. I like numbers. I yeah, love sure. data. I love data. I want to see it. It's a fun yeah. way to tell stories. Um, but I got concerned about the emphasis in our case on numbers. And it was always like a certain number of contacts. You're supposed to get like 100 a week as a companionship. A contact was literally like testifying to someone was a contact. A certain number of, as we call them, you know, titas para volver, but like, you know, basically a return appointments based on your contacts. And then like the actual number of discussions you might've had during a week, which in Spain was a probably comparatively low number. Uh, uh, if I were talking to those of you who served somewhere like South America or potentially like mm-hmm. West Africa. Okay. But it was all relative. And so I'd get a little burned out on that. I was the zone leader down there and like, I knew it was important at the same time. I worried so much because I, frankly, we saw ourselves at times, like you're so concerned about hitting your numbers. We'd I, we, I took part in it. We'd like take our hymn books down to this main esplanade in the city and just stand there and sing hymns. And, and, and we're like, everyone who's hearing us is hearing messages of the restored gospel. Yeah. These all count. We'd be like, what was that? Like, like 30 contacts. All right. Good deal. You know? <laughs> and like, that's not the, that's not the spirit of it. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. um, so one week in our district, no, the whole zone, we decided to, we knew we still had to report numbers, but I, I implemented this plan where companions would switch off each day being the one who kept track of like what work was done. And like, you, and we all committed, like, you're not going to stare at your little, your little blue sheet. Did you have the blue folding calendars? Remember the yeah. little calendars? Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. I like I'd lo- we'd, we'd log awesome. stuff in there. Right. And so I'd be like, here's the deal. You're not going to stare at that during the day. You're not going to check it, on check in on it. It's like, Oh man, I'm a couple contacts shy of like hitting a daily goal. You're just going to do the work and just hit your little check marks as you go. Don't worry about it. And then the companions would alternate each day and then not share with one another how things were going at all. That was the plan. I see. Mm-hmm. To do as much as we could to still collect data, basically, without like keeping an eye on it during the week. Because I still had to report it. So then by the end of the week, we all compiled. We got together and compiled all of our stuff. And I talked to the assistants. And my zone did like 20% better than they normally did wow. on given weeks. And I don't. that's just one case study, not necessarily the overall truth. But I thought it was very interesting, at least anecdotally, that I thought when my zone was less concerned about hitting certain numerical goals, 
they were just out there doing the work and loving the work and they yeah. actually performed better in the process. And I thought that was pretty cool. It taught me a good lesson. It doesn't cover every situation, but it reminded me a lot about it. So this. did you perpetuate that, that approach or? No, not exactly. I think I told the assistants about it and they didn't like that I did it. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you got to make it sound like their idea, Jeff. And I then... guess so. Sometimes, uh, I mean, there's assistants could drive me crazy. When I, I remember, yeah. Anyways, there was one time we had this like urgency campaign and like I pick up the phone and they just yell, urgencia on the phone. I was like, oh, shut up. Like, why are you saying this? <laughs> This is so dumb. And they're in the plush mission office and you're like this remote. Like you're apartment. just driving your van around the Pyrenees <laughs> while I am. Anyway, so sorry for the long tail there, but I thought that was cool. No, yeah, that is cool. Can... That's cool. So Jeff, I want to know what's, what's the vibes in, in the DC area right now with the, the temple open house and, you know, uh, CBS Sunday morning, they just did a interesting interview with uh, two apostles and, yeah. you know, that they're beginning to open, open the open house. More or less. So they've been doing private like VIP yeah. tours of the open house. Basically, the, the official open house to the public doesn't start until this coming weekend. Um, everyone's very excited. I think we're excited because it's finally real. That's the biggest thing. This has just been the, our elusive yeah. temple reopening for a long time. So I think it's cool. And it's fun right now. Just strictly just it's just fun to see like the PR part of it in full swing. Now things are getting real like right. We're taking dignitaries through. You've got apostles giving remarks at the visitor center. You have the CBS uh, Sunday morning video that you referenced, which is great. Uh, yep. we'll, we'll embed it on this episode if you haven't seen it. Fun to watch. I love to see the PR machine in action, and uh, it's a big deal here. The DC Temple. It's, I'm not gonna like I. It's my local temple. I get it, but I can't overstate that it is like it's a very important temple for the church, and this is a very yeah. important opportunity for the church. And that's not to denigrate other temples, but like this is more important than a temple in Farmington, New Mexico. It's right. great for the saints in Farmington, New Mexico, and wonderful for them. But this this is the biggest thing since the Rome Temple dedication a couple of years ago in terms of just massive PR, huge involvement. Um, and the, the, yeah, everyone's just psyched. The environment right now is great. I think people are feeling optimistic. We're excited. I'm hoping I've been putting it out, out on my Facebook, and uh, I hope my non-member friends will feel a desire to go because so many people are aware of the landmark here in the yeah. area. And yeah. everyone assumed they could never go to it. And I'm like, well, right now, for a little window, you can. And right. You yeah. To me, that's so fascinating. It's such a landmark, especially on that, you know, in that area that's heavily populated and it's such diverse, uh, you know, people and whatnot that I, to me, that that intrigue, you'd think would just bring them in droves, which I expect to be. But um, I, I love that. That's like now you can see it like you've wanted to see inside for so long. Come on in. Yeah, and, it's cool. heavy, and it's been heavily and it's been heavily publicized i frankly think they could publicize it even more because it is such a well-known building but it's, it's been great to see though i mean this has been one of the few times i've seen like you know we don't usually put signs out on the near the street next to our meeting houses in north america right. like promoting stuff that's not really our jam i mean we don't even list our meeting times on our buildings just like, say oh, visitors are welcome yeah Good we enough. just have the church and visitors are welcome <laughs> that's all we do uh, we've actually had like banners up on the streets, even down here south of DC, a little bit to remind people this is going on. I hope they continue with it. I hope yeah. a lot of people go. I know they've had a lot of demand, um, and it's a bit of a different open house structure than what I've experienced in the recent past. Philadelphia is my closest comparison, but they're not doing it with like timed groups, and then the guide takes you through the whole temple, which is what I've typically seen at every temple open house. Instead, there will be people stationed throughout the temple and it's mostly going to be just kind of walking at your own pace and walk room to room and just talk to the guides the docents whatever you want to call them right as you're doing it i just 
I'm sure they've done this before, but my working memory of any recent open house has always been like you go with your group and the guide walks you through the whole process yeah. until the very end. I, I think this is a shift. Um, I want to say it was maybe the Jordan River Temple or one of these temples I, I walked through that uh, they did that where they sort of have these set places for rather than one guide. He's sort of experienced multiple Guides. I imagine it takes fewer people to pull that off too. I yeah. mean, the yeah. number of groups you have going through at a given time probably eclipses the number of stations you would have, mm-hmm. I would guess. Yeah. I'd have to and I remember that. there was, wasn't a lot of instruction. They almost encourage you just to walk through. There's a few signs you read. And then if you have questions, ask them after or whatever. So Yeah. Which is also interesting to me because I feel like we use this as a good PR slash missionary opportunity. I mean, part yeah. of this is like saying to people like, this room is awesome. And you know why? Like you've yeah, got to exactly. find out. Yeah. So I'll be curious what they do with that. Um, there's also, we talked about the CBS uh, Sunday morning interview, which is which is great. Uh, there's also one on YouTube from CBS Sunday morning, a little bit more in depth. Elder Bednar and his wife Susan in one of the celestial rooms of the DC Temple with the the host of the show, and they're they talk about the usual stuff they talk about. He explains the mirrors, the eternities, all that all that kind of stuff. Um, worth watching as well. Some of the comments on YouTube were uh, one. I'm shocked CBS did not close comments. They haven't taken a page from the church's PR playbook. <laughs> was it was it pretty ugly. It's not bad. It's 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 the mix you would expect. Yeah. I would say right, and so. Um, Good to watch. I think it's just cool. It's great to see. Like we've got cameras in the temple, and yeah. I know church. The church public affairs is working very hard to get CBS to buy into this and and make it happen. I imagine CBS wanted some kind of exclusivity, and you're not going to see this also on the Today Show or on Good Morning America or anything uh-huh. like that. But um, that's super cool, man. Just excited yeah. to have everything coming back online for this. It's going to yeah. be great. And of course, of course, when they interviewed the apostles, it only took a matter of moments before it's not secret; it's sacred to be uttered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm very curious if they've done research on how well that plays. I feel like it members of the church. I don't know about you, but that becomes, it becomes cliche as far as phrasing goes after a while. But we hear that because we're inside the bubble in a sense. I wonder how that resonates with audiences who have never heard the line before. If it like, is like, okay, okay. Or people just say, yo, okay, all right, PR guy. Okay. <laughs> you. I have yeah. no idea, but I, I imagine they test that somehow. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we've we've hit a, a historic note in the in the life of President Nelson. He is now the oldest president of the church in the history of the restored gospel. And was it uh, did he pass Hinckley or was it uh, McKay? He passed Hinckley. Okay. I'm assuming McKay was the second. Yeah, nice. yeah, the second oldest to live, right? And. Uh, they, you know, the church news has been holding on this article, just counting down the days. Yeah, they wrote this it. like they wrote this years ago. They write this That's for every church, every church president, and then they're like, ah, and then they just swap out the names. Oh man, yeah, that's uh, okay. So, so tell me more about this. So, well, I mean, that's that's pretty much it, right, Jeff? I mean, I, <laughs> I, I like he he aged and and the, I think it. the remarkable thing is, I remember President Hinckley at the end of his life where. There were some instances, I don't know where I saw this, but like he had, or somebody had told me he was in a, one of his last meetings and they like had to carry him in, you know, like he was just so frail. Sorry, who'd you say? Which one? Uh, President Hinckley. That was Hinckley, right? Okay. Yeah. You. Um, and, and we see slowed, him. And he some, slowed down a lot near the end. Yeah. Like, that, and it was yeah. like very quickly. Right. But where President Nelson, like if I saw him out jogging and be like, oh, okay, you're just jogging or whatever. Um, he's, he's shockingly sprightly. Like, so here it, is the random a random trivia I came across. Do you know he is not the current, he's not the oldest living general authority if you count all emeritus general authorities. 
There well, is as one must, right? Elder Robert L. Backman just turned 100 years old in March, and he's still just he was released in 1992 as an emeritus. You know, he was you know given emeritus status in October of 1992, and the guy is still just and they're like, thanks for the thanks, enjoy the next 10 years of quiet life. Yeah, and here he is 20 years after that, like guys. I gave up my career for this. What am I doing for the next 30 he should, years? He should just, I think if he hit like 95, you become an honorary member of the Quorum of the Twelve and you speak at conference and we just learn to love you. Like well, we they could bring back some of those old positions like assistant to the Quorum of the Twelve. Yes. All these ones that were 12 adjacent. They could be like, or, or they could be kind of like what Paul officially was because Paul was an apostle, but he was not considered a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. Right. I think there's a few. Uh, Let's get into the olden days when you got apostles who were like ordained apostles, but they're not part of the quorum. They're right. just apostles, right? That's what we that we need to ordain this hundred year old man. That's right. So, anyways, I sort of went down the Wikipedia wormhole with uh, Elder Backman, and uh, he funny. he was called as a general authority in 1978, served in 1992. He's actually the general president of the Young Men during that time as well, and uh, so. Shout out to him. He's probably just loving life. I hope he's he's happy and healthy, and see who if he can beat out uh, yeah. President Nelson here. But anyways. Kurt, do you know who the youngest uh, church president was at the time of death? Uh, Joseph Smith. That's correct. <laughs> okay, good. How about the second youngest? Uh, Other no, president I can tell you real quick. It might have been President Lee. Let's see. I'm looking. I'm right now. I'm leaning on Lee. Yes, Lee. Lee was the second youngest. He was 74 when he passed away. If we're working our way up, let's see. There's 87. Uh, George Albert Smith was 80. Joseph F. Smith was 80. But no, we're getting younger. Sorry. Brigham Young was 76. John Taylor was 78. Joseph F. Smith was 80. George Albert Smith was 81. Um. Where are we going from here? Howard W. Hunter was 87. I don't think I'm skipping anybody there. Uh, and then we creep up into the 90s after that. I mean, you've got, yeah. let's, let's see here. You've got spent who? Oh, Heber J. Grant was 88. And Lorenzo Snow was 87. I apologize for that. Uh, so then you've got, let's see here. Then we start creeping up in the 90s. You've got Spencer W. Kimball was 90. And who's next? Ezra Taft Benson was 94, which I think is the next one. Sorry, Wilford Woodruff was 91. Ezra Taft Benson was 94. And then these 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 years go up. Joseph Fielding Smith was 95. David O. McKay was... Oh, I skipped President, President Monson was 90. I apologize. President Monson was 90. David O. McKay was 96. Gordon McHinkley was 97. Russell M. Nelson is 97. Seven months as of right now. And of... Uh, sorry. And uh, Howard W. Hunter was... 87. So oldest, you've got goes Nelson, Hinckley, McKay, and then Fielding Smith, I believe. Yeah, that sounds right. It's right up there. So, huh. well, you know, 90 is the new 70 with these uh, the members of the Corner of the 12, it seems. They're just, also, uh, one of the interesting things was that he was the, um, he was the second prophet of the church to be called after the age of 90, which is kind of interesting oh, yeah. too. So that's kind of fun. And at the time of his call, he was 93 years, five months and six days old. President Joseph Fielding Smith was 93 years, six months and five days when set apart starting the, so uh, they were very old and they're very close together in terms of the age at which they were called. Nice. And president Oaks is past 90 now, right? So I believe so. If, yes. So, and so is president Ballard. So. Let's see here. Uh, Quorum of the Twelve. Give me the list of everybody. Hey, let's see here. Yeah, Ballard's 93 now. 
so there you go. Yeah, so Elder Oaks was born in 32, so he's there. At least uh, in, oh, in August he'll be 90. Some of them are just like, they're older than you think they are. Yeah. Like Elder Holland's 81, Elder Uchtdorf's 81. Elder Uchtdorf is like perennially 72 as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> he stopped aging. It's but he's not. Uh, D. Tucker Stopperson's 77, for example. You get to the younger ones. Suarez is only 63. Good for him. Good for him. Keep that up. Keep, he's, he's keeping it real. Speaking of Elder Uchtdorf, uh, some really pleasant, nice stories. Elder Uchtdorf went uh, to his native Europe, and there's a lot going on in Europe, as you might be aware right now. And so he went on a little European tour uh, in Germany, but he also went to Poland. It's powerful to send anyone there. It's especially relevant when you have someone with President or Elder Uchtdorf's personal history um, going over to these parts of Europe because of he's from Germany and he was affected very directly by World War II, for example. So he uh, spent a few minutes of quiet remembrance in Germany. I believe he even visited he visited the Berlin Wall Monument. He visited the Holocaust Memorial and the Plotzeny Memorial Center, which is a the, the memorial center is at the side of an infamous prison where more than 2,800 inmates uh, were executed, including the, the famous 16-year-old named Helmuth Hubner, who was a Latter-day Saint. And the Third Reich's court ordered him to death. So he spent some time there in Germany. I'm assuming that was a powerful experience for him and encouraging the saints there to keep it up, visited with the missionaries. He also went to Poland, which is next door to Germany, and visited with uh, Ukrainian refugees, which is just wonderful. So he was there on Sunday, April 10th. Um, he was a refugee twice during World War II, and he went to a ref- uh, devotional held in Warsaw specifically for the refugees, read from a scripture in the New Testament about the speaking about the refugees' plight, which was in Romans 8. It says, uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And he answered that nothing can separate us from the love of God, um, which is just great. I can't imagine oh, these poor people. You know, dealing with that. Uh, He compared, of course, the refugee situation to that of the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, The apostles were frustrated. Their Messiah had died. They didn't know what to do. And he said, quote, everything was over. The worst of expectations happened. I cannot imagine how what they felt the same as I cannot imagine how you feel as refugees today. Here they were totally distraught on the lake, tried to fish, which which they knew. They were professionals, but they couldn't catch anything. He's like, that's how you feel sometimes. You cannot do what you normally do, and you essentially feel helpless. So he encouraged them to be open to uh, to adapt. This must have been a very powerful experience. I mean, yeah. I don't know. If, I'm assuming I don't know if every single person in attendance, if it was a refugee only audience, and that speaks a lot. If it was members of the church who yeah, wanted I mean, to be there, how many of refugees are members of our own church that yeah. right now from Ukraine? Yeah, which Ukraine has roughly fifteen thousand members or so. You know, a couple stakes and a temple. Um, and a lot of them are in Poland because other people in areas occupied by Russia have been forcibly immigrated and repatriated hmm. to Russia, um, which is a very sad situation for all of them. These are people who are there, they're, they're basically saying, we can kill you and destroy your city or you can be forcibly exiled into Russia. And there's already been accounts of men being sent to Siberia so they won't be able to go back to Ukraine and stir up trouble um, in that sense. Hmm. So. Good for good for uh, Elder Uchtdorf. I'm glad to yeah. see him able to take this opportunity. Yeah, I think it's cool when you know they make an intentional effort there to, you know, send us a, a member or two from the Quorum of the Twelve and and connect with the people on a personal level. And uh, yeah, that's that's great. So, and on that note, uh, their Good Morning America featured an American family in Poland, which helped more than 20 Ukrainian refugees. And uh, 
I'm teeing you up for this one, Jeff, because you watched the video and I didn't. (laughs) 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 But uh, was it the American family that were Latter-day Saints or? Yes. So so an American family, (laughs) more of me. Um, So this is an American family that moved from Detroit to Krakow, Poland. Uh, Krakow is, in many ways, the heart of Poland. It's in southern Poland, not far from Auschwitz, uh, interestingly enough. Beautiful city if you ever get a chance to go there. Uh, Just a gorgeous city, an incredible place. They had moved there. I decided to look up the guy, uh, O.T. Robinson or whatever his name was. They moved there for work. And I was like, what's he doing for work? He works for a company called Next Tier Automotive. Hmm. Uh, having formerly been in Detroit, they basically build like steering columns and systems like that that they then put in vehicles. So he's working out of Poland now to do that. Uh, his family has 10 children. They don't specify that they are Latter-day Saints, but some other sleuthers like figured that out. And they even said just kind of nonchalantly like, he was talking to his bishop, like very matter-of-factly. I mean, it's Poland. It's a very Catholic country, but I don't, in Catholic yeah. speak, I don't think lay folks are just chatting with the bishop in, right, in yeah. Catholicism <laughs> like they would in our church. And the church is not large in, in Poland overall. I mean, yeah. Poland is, is both both vestiges of communism and also devoutly Catholic compared to a lot of other nations. It's a huge part of their cultural fabric. And as such, the church is not exactly enormous there. I imagine their own family with 10 kids uh, has increased the size of their branch by like, 20% probably. So cool story though. They thought about what they could do and they, their family that's already very packed, obviously with that many children, they've been hosting a bunch of different refugee families from Ukraine to try to be part of this, try to give them uh, some solace and, and a place to be and, and a place to have a way station. Sometimes it's for a night, sometimes it's for a number of weeks, you know, and they've got a lot of people in the home and he's just talked about how rewarding it is to give back and be able to do what he can. Um, One of the most touching parts, he said, one time some of these boys that we were watching, like they're staying with us, were outside playing in a park and a jet flew overhead and they like, they were triggered in that sense. Like the the boys just like suddenly kind of froze up and got freaked out because their experience with jets is that it's Russian jets that are going to come and bomb your neighborhood. Wow. Um, That's pretty powerful. So it's it's great to see whatever this one little family is able to do to provide relief, to provide sucker, as we say. You know what the word, what's Relief Society called in Spanish, Kurt? Uh, Sociedad de Socorro. Socorro. You can see the cognate there. That's right. Suckering, right? right? Think about what it means to sucker, and that's really what it's all about, providing relief for people. So it's good. All right. I'll take another one, Jeff, since I – but I just – you know, you're talking about refugees. We couldn't just come back to – you know, we didn't want to talk about a silly groundbreaking and then come back Ah, to refugees, right? So there's two groundbreakings in the news. We got the – it says leaders break ground for Argentina's fifth temple in Bahia Blanca. And, uh, you know, did the thing, did the gold shovel thing and, uh, <laughs> you know, they just got their gold y- shovels out and, and, uh, and then in also the groundbreaking for the Grand Junction, Colorado temple. And my, my family actually lived in Grand Junction before I was born. So how was I'm that? pretty much a native? So, yeah. So yeah, those are happening and, and not much more to say about that, Jeff. Well, they're going to have the temples. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be cool. Well, they they don't it. just announce temples, Jeff. They they break the ground of temples. Sometimes more officially than not, but we will right. see. Yeah. So here's a funny article. I guess not funny. I shouldn't say funny. Here is an article out of <laughs> For- Forward Magazine, which is a Jewish-focused magazine. I'm just curious about the genesis of this entire article and how it came about. It's lengthy. And I'm going to tell you, I have not read every piece of it. This is like a four or 5,000 word article. This is not messing around in terms of coverage. But the article is called, Can an All-Mormon Cast Pull Off Fiddler on the Roof? We traveled to Utah to find out. 
which I think it's great. I, I don't even get all the background here about what made them say, here's the thing, here's what you need to do, author Mira Fox. You need to go to Provo and hang out with the kids at BYU and see if, like, you know, they can do this. Can they yeah, this handle it? This sounds so random. I don't know. It is random. It's a pretty interesting read, though, and we'll link to it, of course, with our show notes. Uh, of her experience being there in Provo and like they're very welcoming and it's great because she's like I'm trying to be there as like an objective observer and just document this but inevitably I became involved because I'm hearing them because Fiddler on the Roof you know it's about Russian Jews you know and so she's trying to uh, explain to them some better ways to pronounce things proper custom like the way you would do the order you would do things under Judaism she wound up kind of serving as a consultant in many ways to make them to make the actors uh take appropriate measures and act appropriately yeah. and incorporate appropriate Jewish customs and, and things, uh, which is just great. So I think it's funny that she just got involved in, it in that sense, but it's, it's interesting this lengthy article about sort of the relationship between Judaism and Christianity and specifically like for Latter-day Saints, like, is it a little bit different for, uh, for them? And she's actually, I think very respectful of the church's history, um, various components of it. She m- mentions, of course, the point that, like in the original doctrine of the church, its members were descendants of the two lost tribes of Israel, Manasseh and Ephraim. Um, today, of course, we believe in, she does describe it as we we represent multiple tribes and we find out during a ceremony, we could quibble here. It's not a patriarchal blessing is not quite a ceremony, but sure. okay, that's fine. Whatever, we'll survive. Um, so I just thought this was a fascinating read to talk. She talks about the differences and similarities between Jews and Latter-day Saints. She traveled around downtown Provo, just kind of seeing what was what. Talked about the, the honor code, but also stressed like how um, how thoughtful the church members, these Mormon kids are pulling this off, trying to do their best to represent Judaism adequately. One thing was interesting is some folks wondered if, if there were parallels between the Jewish experience uh, and like that of the early saints in Missouri, but how there were others who were like, we're not, I don't, I'm not comfortable going that far. Like what the Jews have experienced uh, in early history as well as, you know, during the World War II and the Holocaust. You could see parallels there if you wanted to, but it's not really analogous to the Latter-day Saint experience in Missouri. But I appreciate that the kids were like thoughtful enough to be like, we're not, I think as like any group, we try to like make everything applicable to ourselves. And I think we're guilty of that as members of the church. Um, Remember many who say like, no, it might be appropriate, inappropriate for us to do that. And some wondered if it was even appropriate for them to put on the show as fiddler, as like a parable for their own persecution, for our persecution as Latter-day Saints, um, and whether we just shouldn't be doing the show at all because it's in bad taste. Mostly, I thought that was an interesting takeaway from her. So kind of cool. Good read if you want to have a long read. Um, <laughs> talks to a lot of the cast members about their own struggles, even inside and outside the church, how they're pulling all of this off. She goes to the show. Um, you know, d- Does relatable content become like appropriation in a sense? I do think the overall premise is kind of funny. Like, can an all LDS cast do Fiddler on the Roof? Well, like, sure. Like, can like any cast do Like, that's assuming like, can a non-drug addict play a drug addict? I don't know, right? But you want to make sure you're appropriate and sensitive to yeah. people. And Fiddler on the Roof is comparatively benign. And so I think that's why it also captivates audiences like us. Like, they're not up there doing, um, they're not up there doing like hair or <laughs> or a chorus line or something like that's next. So a, a chorus line has been adapted for high schools but either way a chorus line sucks don't at me a chorus line sucks you all know it's true it's just like hot garbage on stage uh i've never anyway, seen it jeff i guess i'll keep it that way don't see a chorus line a chorus <laughs> line is so so fantastically disappointing so i saw it in the pantages years ago 
Now, the upside is it's short enough there's no intermission. So when it's done and the curtain and the lights go up, you're like, this is over. That's terrific. <laughs> I'm not anxious to see what else happens. Nice. Um, anyway, so cool. It's actually kind of a cool read. It's kind of, it is kind of a funny, I agree with you, Kurt, like what drove them to decide to visit the, the BYU <laughs> cast be members. something else to talk about. And like question, like can they, can they do this? Can they do this or will they be disrespectful to the Jewish community? But I thought that was fine. It's kind of fun to read. And randomly, I, like perspective. I remember as a, I don't know, I was probably seven or eight. My steak, for some reason, I don't know how this worked out, my steak put on the, you know, did the fiddler on the roof at a local, like a, I think it was like the the Playhouse Theater, whatever they used to call that downtown Salt Lake. I don't know why. And it was made of all members of my steak, Latter-day Saints. And so nobody wrote a story then. But I miss, uh, I know, well, that's, I, I miss when we used to do plays in our yeah. congregation. We actually use the stage as a stage. Yeah. Now like, it's I just remember my mom, my mom was in like little women at our steak center as a kid. I remember because oh, wow. she had one of those outfits, you know, the bell yeah. on it, all the whole thing. I don't remember much. Bring about back the road play. show. Right. It makes me a little sad. We're trying to be so like normal. Like we won't go the step to uh, to rock for Jesus necessarily. I don't think we're going to go full Christian rock, have like the rock, you know, the right. band for church. Oh, it's okay, fine, whatever. I don't care about that. But uh, I feel like we lose little bits of ourselves as we kind of shed these things to try to simplify, to try to be home-centered church support. And it's like, yeah. well, I wouldn't mind if there was this like Herculean effort as a ward to pull off a play. That can be a really like good bonding experience for people. Yeah, it takes up time. It's a hard thing to do, but that's that's working together with your church members. That's yeah. building Zion. That's true. What's community. That's what we need, community. So, uh, you, Speaking you, of infrastructure... Right, uh, we're, real estate, Jeff. Turns out the church owns a lot of it. Get uh, out. I, that was my understanding for a while, and uh, but I guess that's something. Um, there's some conspiracy here. Some, you know, that there. <laughs> while the church has it's never like been listed among the like largest landowners in the U.S., this newly compiled data places them in the top five in terms of acreage and likely number one in terms of of market value, and that we should be suspicious since they're an extremely successful organization. Do they say we should be suspicious? No, I, I that was my insert there. Now, but, here's uh, the thing. I'll be fair. Truth and Transparency is born out of Mormon leaks, which Mormon leaks is like going away, I guess. They're not, they can't sustain it anymore. But so, okay. So there's a, there's a desire from some people there to be transparent with the church. And sometimes I'd say at the church's expense or with little regard for what it means for the church, it's about okay. transparency. So the tone you're reading it in can align with that. I do think this article is totally just like fair and factual though. And this, this deals with nothing but, hey, we found out all the church's holdings. Do with that what you will and see what it's worth. I mean, you could spin it, of course, since like you said, it's worth so much money. Why do we have so much money? And there's still starving people. This is a problem. But I actually thought this was kind of fun because they mapped it out too. And this map is slow. But it shows like literally everything the church owns in the United States and shows it by what type of facility it is. Agricultural, commercial, mixed use, multifamily dwellings, you know, office space, retail, vacant land can be one of them. It's kind of fun to see that and see like what's what and where and how and what we're doing with our Never land. tease Jeff with a map. I do love maps. He'll lean in every time. I got. I wonder if these are all, all individual data things that I can check out here. Like office, we have an office in Philadelphia. I guess offices could be anything. Now that I'm looking at it, like I see office, and it's clearly where the Bishop Storehouse is in Maryland, for example. <laughs> so that qualifies as office space, I guess. And I'm assuming a lot of these other things are vacant land. What's all this vacant land in my area? What the vacant land is that? It's right next to my house. What is happening? It would be interesting to see this compared to like 
all the real estate that like the Catholic Church owns, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be yeah. cool with that too. So I mostly find this just just of interest. Like, and it's yeah. okay if the church has a ton of valuable real estate. Okay, I think for anybody though, it's the, the effort they went into this. It was pretty legit because they had to pour over lots of publicly available records and and, and dig in and find out because if its name is a holding company, things like that, and just find out really like how much of this is owned and controlled by the church. Doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Doesn't mean it's a good thing. It just is. We own we own real estate and we do stuff with it. And it might be worth a whole ton of money. Great. We can sell it someday if we need to. It's fine. Yep. Cool. It's kind of fun. Well, that's all I got, Jeff. Uh, last thing I've got for you here, other than, of course, a reminder for everyone to support us on Patreon by donating $4 a month and $40 a month if you're feeling generous. Um, kind of a cool article about how to effectively plan, prepare for, and participate in interfaith interactions. This can seem by the headline a little like, really? Like, how do I effectively plan and prepare for interfaith interactions? Like, what do you do, Utahns, if you run into a Lutheran? What do you do? But it's not quite that. It's more about Blythe Beecroft, who is, um, sorry, it's more about Diana Brown, I'm sorry, who's an assistant director for interreligious engagement in campus ministry at Georgetown University, but who's also a member of the church. And they have used this opportunity, especially with the DC Temple that we were talking about earlier, to organize a lot of events and things in order to uh, focus on interreligious relations, which I think is a great thing in general. And in this case, they're actually organizing trips, like sacred, I forgot what they're calling it. They call it like reverse open houses or something like that. Where was that? The reverse open house series, where instead of like other people coming to our place, we are sending members of the church out to other notable religious sites in the Hmm. Washington, D.C. area to learn about their faiths. We can all do more of this, people. I think this is a great thing. And equipping us with the tools on how to interact with others outside of our faith is a very good thing. I believe sometimes as Latter-day Saints, we are inherently insular, given our history, and we don't always need to be. And it's great to look outward and recognize that just developing good relationships with those in our community does not necessarily mean we're out to baptize them. It could just mean it's a good thing to do. And it can also expand our view by understanding others and the religious traditions that they believe in. I think that's great. So this is actually kind of a cool article talking about the uh, the things that Sister Brown has undertaken in order to make all of this possible, uh, which is great. I think it's awesome. We should all be doing this everywhere. We should be doing this in Utah. We, this should be a calling in everyone's ward. Right? Yes. I, I mean, there's that movie that. Baptist at our barbecue, which kind of covers this as well. <laughs> but I think we're it's about time for a sequel, don't you think? That's <laughs> what could be. Baptist at our barbecue. What's, what, or, what's alliterative? What's another? Let's Baptist ooh. at our barbecue. I got to think. Catholics uh, at our confirmation. Um, <laughs> Muslims at our meet and greet. Wiccans at our wake. <laughs> Lutherans at linger longer. Oh, we can Ooh. do this all day. We can do this all day. <laughs> Methodists at our. We don't do anything with M, do we? Meet and greet. I just did. That. Our, did you do Methodists? <laughs> you said Muslims. That's fair. Yeah. I did. What's our, okay? Well, we could we could think about this all day. It could be a good time. G- <laughs> well, give me your tips, it. folks. Send me an email. Contact us right. with your take on what should be the sequel to Baptists at our barbecue, and what it should evolve. Should it have the original cast? Should it be a soft reboot, a sequel, a prequel, an adjacent kind of thing, kind of like the that other Ghostbusters movie? You tell me. Who knows what it'll be? But. Uh, until then, please go to thisweekinmormons.com. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts and leave us a review if you're feeling like a giving, thoughtful, helpful, interreligious type of person. We'd appreciate it. And please go to leadingsaints.org where you can see what Kurt's up to and subscribe to his podcast so you can be a, a better, it. more effective leader, which we cannot iterate enough as a private, private undertaking by Kurt. 
and he's just doing great things. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Neither neither of us represent the church. Just want to be clear on that. (laughs) It's good to see you, Kurt, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back. And um, just want to give a quick, quick nod to Richie Stedman. Richie, the show is is under an hour. This one's for you. Thank you, Richie. I know you'll be very happy about this. And thank you all for listening. Glad to have you all here. Uh, We'll talk to you next week. Until then, for Kurt, I'm Jeff. This Week in Mormons is off the case. See you later. Got him.